Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time it is uh, where you are listening or watching today. I'm very excited for episode one of the Happy Troublemakers podcast. Uh, with me today is my co-host, uh, my friend, my colleague, uh, Zach Lautenschlager. Welcome, welcome aboard, Zach. Well, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to making trouble here, all with a smile. Absolutely. I thought it would be it'd be interesting to delve into the the origin story a little bit of 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 the infamous uh, to some, uh, famous to others, uh, Zach Lautenschlager, and uh, to to learn a little bit about uh, how you got involved in politics, uh, how how you how far you've come over these uh, over these years. And um, kind of introduce yourself to some of our our, our listeners. So let's. Uh, I, I think the my favorite story um, when when you talk about your past is is showing up at the the state capitol in South Dakota uh, in Pierre in in Carhartt bib overalls. How, how does this happen? What, tell us a little bit about about right. how this uh, this comes about. Well, I am a ranch kid. I was born on a 4,000-acre ranch in southwestern South Dakota. It sounds large until you realize that we only get 14 inches of rain there annually. And so that's a lot of acres per cow-calf pair. Um, I grew up uh, farming, ranching, logging, um, construction, uh, lots of blue-collar stuff, uh, fifth-generation South Dakotan. And um, so Carhartts, especially Biv overalls, were the uh, attire of the day. That's that's what we all well, that's what we tended to wear. It's what we liked. They're comfortable, um, and so they're comfortable. They're very they're very um, practical. Um, you know, you know, we, you wear the new pair to church, <laughs> and you wear your old pair for work. And so, of course, going to the Capitol, well, you got to wear your nice clothes, which means your new Carhartts, especially black. If you have a black pair, you know, that's, the fancy ones. That's great. I quickly found out that even in South Dakota, no one wears Carhartts at the Capitol. That's especially bibs. That's just <laughs> not a thing. So, um, but I was also a, a, an awkward homeschool kid and, and didn't really care that that was not the, the way to do it. So um, that didn't last forever. We, I like to joke about it and, and talk about it a little bit, but uh, a few committee hearings. And, and then I went and bought a secondhand suit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it fit very well as well. Uh, well, you know, for my knowledge at the time, I thought it was great. <laughs> of course, of course. Give us a little so, bit of the of the lay of the land. Obviously, um, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about about Western states, about so so called Republican states like South Dakota. Um, you know, what, what were what was your family what, uh, down at the Capitol? What, what were you fighting for? What were you working public policy wise? Well, when we started doing that, it had been in this lapse of several years, uh, about a decade, um, where we had been less active. Um, and then, you know, we started going back to the Capitol in the early and mid-90s when Bill Clinton was president and Janet Reno was burning all toddlers first, as we used to call the BATF. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, it was over gun rights uh, that, that that episode kind of started. But I started working off and on in politics, working, you know, being involved. Uh, my dad ran for office when I was two. Um, he was running for state legislature, always said that he was uh, grateful that the people relieved him of the duty of serving. <laughs> um, and, but um, that's where things kind of started for us. And that was over the, the uh, homeschool battle. Um, took several years to make homeschooling legal in South Dakota. And in fact, when they first started homeschooling me several years later, it still wasn't legal yet. 
Um, so that, that, that's an interesting kind of question that, you know, we, we think of South Dakota now, particularly in, in light of all of the COVID restrictions that have happened, you know, over the last two years and the, and the, the sort of more freedom oriented position that South Dakota has, has staked out of late. You're saying that, that homeschooling wasn't legal in South Dakota, uh, at the time. Yep. Early to mid eighties, it was not legal. It wasn't legalized until the mid eighties. And so, and that was very common. Um, the stories of um, homeschool families being um, raided by the social services and children being uh, taken away based solely on the fact that they were homeschooled. There was no abuse, um, often no abuse even um, mentioned. It was that you're homeschooling and that's not okay. Um, that happened in Nebraska. There's a very famous case in the early 80s as well in which uh, homeschool kids were abducted um, from my perspective by social services. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, it's an interesting part of American history. Conservative States had this very strong um, truancy law and mm -hmm. consider that to be important in the same way that conservative States still don't really like home birth. Right. Um, because it's a, you know, there's, there's some problem with it. It's not safe and we have to make sure people are safe. And so conservatives, um, Alabama only just recently loosened up. South Dakota was about a decade ago. Um, so the most conservative states have their issues too. Conservatism is not is not necessarily constitutional. <laughs> it's certainly not um, monolithic as much as no. many people think. And and we'll no, talk a little not. bit later, I'm sure, about uh, some of the work that you you did in Texas, um, which I think has a somewhat undeserved reputation for being this bastion of, of conservatism <laughs> as well. Right. So, yes, you know, to start where I started as a, as a you know, backwards homeschool kid, um, backwards in the sense of socially, uh, my folks did a great job uh, educating and I'm always going to be eternally grateful for that. Um, to start where I started, where we lived an hour from anywhere, the closest small little tiny town, Hot Springs, South Dakota, was an hour away. Um, way out in the middle of nowhere, Shadman was about an hour away in Nebraska. And, you know, to go from there to having worked in 40 state legislatures, being a federal lobbyist, having worked on 200 campaigns, um, building the team that's now passed constitutional carry in 24 states um, that, that's participated in that, um, that's, it's amazing. I'm still blown away that I had the opportunity to do all of those things and, and to, to participate and continue participating in American politics. That's why I love it. That's I think that's why we kind of named this show Troublemakers, right? That's right. Um, that you have the opportunity, everyone does, uh, to get involved and to cause trouble for the political elite. Um, and I know in future episodes we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Winston Churchill and and uh, some of the historical um, uses of the word troublemaker. Um, so it's certainly not a purely American concept, um, but it is distinctly unique. Uh, in the American system, the the ability, the extensive ability, a backwards homeschool kid has to become a national troublemaker, pretty cool. I think it's 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 really amazing. I think um, it it really underlines um, how much impact that we the people uh, really do have over this this political process, and um, our involvement in the process is really so important to to defending to keeping our republic. Uh, to 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 tip the hat to uh, Benjamin Franklin's uh, uh, famous saying, who are, who are some of the the troublemakers uh, that you kind of look up to 
um, from from our founding. I, I know that you your family has has been here a very long time. Um, you have yes, some really have. interesting stories about uh, yes. about some of your ancestors. Who who are some of the kind of the troublemakers that you look up to um, that sort of inspire you in in, in your political work? Well, Sam Adams will always be um, one of my favorite founding fathers um, because he was so focused on actually accomplishing things and not just talking about it. Um, we would not have had an American war for independence the way it, uh, the way it happened, especially the way things came together to the benefit of the colonies. Um, that never would have happened without without Sam Adams, and he was uh, a widely recognized troublemaker. In fact, eventually. General Gage, the military governor of Massachusetts, called him to his office to, to call him to account, he thought. So Adams gets ready, puts his affairs in order, gets ready to be arrested. Um, this is before um, Lexington and Concord, so we're not actually in hot war. They can't be arrested for treason yet. Mm -hmm. He hasn't signed the Declaration of Independence. Um, but um, he's been rabble-rousing and causing problems with Dr. Joseph Warren. And he goes in and he sits down across from the most powerful military man in the Western Hemisphere, looks up at him, and, he, and when he came out, he said, I sat down and looked at Governor Gage and realized he was afraid of me. I rather enjoyed it. Um, and so he conducted that meeting and told Gage what would and would not be. And the reason Gage was afraid of him is because he had not only the backing of the American colonists, but also the backing of the common people in England. And what a tremendous example of a real troublemaker. That that's, that's what a great, troublemakers about. That's a real. That's a really a great a great story. Um, to kind of take some of those principles. Obviously, you you've done a lot of work for uh, both gun rights, constitutional carry, fighting bad um, anti gun legislation, as well as um, your work on on the pro life issue. What what are some examples of that that power of we the people that you um, that, that you kind of alluded to that Sam Adams realized when he sat down that he, he had the power and that he was feared. What, what, what are right. some, what are some fun stories, um, from, from your work in the States or in Congress that, that, that might be instructive, um, to some of our listeners about the, <laughs> about, about the power that There's we really so have over these, these folks. It all comes down to leading, uh, activists into being active. Um, that's really what it does come down to. Everything is about building that grassroots army. Um, there are multiple ways to do that. Sam Adams did it with circuit riders and large lighted, lighted posters called illuminations um, and, and handbills and public meetings. Um, at the National Association for Gun Rights, you and I work together to, uh, along with many other just tremendous folks um, to do it with email and texting and direct mail and meetings and flyers. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, we didn't use any circuit riders. Sometime I want to send somebody <laughs> on a horse somewhere to cause problems for a politician. With, with a woodcut uh, handbill. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, uh, I think one of my favorite stories is, is the battle against the 2013 Toomey Mansion gun control mm. bill. Yes. Um, at that time, uh, Luke was running um, the political side at, at an NGR, and I was working for him. Um, and so it was my job to run all of the field operations, which means when we started to cause problems in the districts, that was, that was my thing. And so we had a congressman, an erstwhile congressman, who represented um, Virginia Beach and Norfolk 
Um, he's a Republican because that is a strong red district populated mostly by active duty military. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of Virginia Tidewater rednecks who are just great people. <laughs> um, and, but Scott truly Ridgel is truly great Americans. Scott Ridgel is uh, one of the uh, bridge builders in Congress. He's one of the people who likes to reach across the aisle and be reasonable um, Barack Obama is president in his second term, just into the second term. Scott Ridgell helped him get reelected by giving him conservative cover. And uh, in return, he was t- taking rides on Air Force One and parading all of his influence at the White House. With, with the and Democrat so, President Barack Obama. Correct. With <laughs> the Democrat President Barack Obama. And so, of course, when horrific gun control gets introduced in the U.S., the Republican-controlled U.S. House, um, Scott Ridgell's name is right there next to McCarthy's. And we're talking about the Democrat McCarthy from, I can't remember if she was from New Jersey or New York. New York, I think. But she is one of the uh, gun control queens in the House. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, we deployed all of the um, the air cover, if you will, uh, bombing from 50,000 feet or 30,000 feet. <laughs> figuratively speaking, with flyers, uh, with mail, I should say, and with all the online stuff and phones and and all of that. Um, And while you were arranging all of that, while Luke was arranging all of that, um, it was my job to go into the district and hold uh, pressers and set up press conferences. And then we brought our boss, Dudley Brown, in to to cover the press conference, um, to do press. Um, Rigel sent staff down to fight with us, which was great. That was tremendous. Um, he didn't ignore it. He was foolish enough to engage, which is just added fun for us. Um, and so, um, you know, we, we do the, run the whole program. They scream and holler. His brother-in-law, Rigel's brother-in-law, runs a radio show that everybody listens to. And so he goes on that to explain how he didn't do any of this stuff. But it doesn't stop there. Once they start doing that, that's so much fun. But he actually creates a folder, Scott Ridgell does, of every presser, uh, every mail piece, the scripts of the radio and TV ads, um, everything that we were doing. And he proceeds to run around Capitol Hill holding meetings with his um, colleagues and staff to do show and tell in which he's got his folder and he opens it up and he goes through it like an ugly model. And the whole thing, uh, just going from, from office to office to office in the, in the three house office buildings. And of course we have allied staff who are saying Scott was just in here telling us exactly how effective you are, uh, you guys are and why we should definitely not cross you. That's right. And of course he was trying to damage us. He was trying to go around, don't work with these people. And everybody on the Hill is like, whatever you do, don't do what Scott Ridgell just did. Um, it was advertising that you can't buy. Yeah, um, it's, that was uh, definitely one of the fun, fun times. That is such a classic um, moment where he he became the prophet of the impending doom for all the Republicans who <laughs> who would dare right. uh, to to stand with the Democrats and and uh, attack our constitutional rights. Uh, it, very yes. <laughs> very fortuitous yes. of him to to do all that free Chief publicity for us. Chief of whom was Eric Cantor, Speaker of the House, who lost to Dave Bratt in the next election after we worked him over in his district. And Cantor was smart enough not to engage. He didn't send anybody down to the pressers. He didn't say anything publicly. He just shut up and let the chips fall. But he was so arrogant that he thought he'd get away with it. Now, we don't claim sole victory over that. That was clearly 
um, a reckoning from his people. But the way the people in his district knew that he was selling them out was partially because of all the work of the membership and leadership of the National Association for Gun Rights in publishing all of that and, and, and laying it all out. It was, the, it was We actually did that on the same trips where we would hit Norfolk and then we went up and, and hit um, his district. Um, yeah, in Richmond. Um, where he, which was where the center of his district. So right across the street from the Capitol, actually, is where we did the presser. So yeah, Rigel, Rigel was the one who ran around and told everyone what was going on. And he just, he blew up the whole problem. If he had shut up, um, the political class, Cantor would still have lost and, and Rigel still would have been out. But it was telling the political class why that was happening. It was so valuable. Absolutely. Um, and and it, they do it every time. Um, someone is going to do show and tell. I go back to, working in governor's races in South Dakota before I started working nationally and we would show up at the farmers union debate. Right. And then you have the, the candidates there and the, um, the majority leader in the Senate, he was very powerful in South Dakota was running for governor and he had a real shot from the left. He was the left leaning candidate. Of course, he left leaning in South Dakota is still pretty conservative. And then they really have to sound conservative, but he had been pushing horrible gun control for years and we had fought him and fought him. And so, of course, the farmers union wasn't going to let us um, do anything no. if they knew it. And so we just attended, right? You can, anybody right. can walk in. It's an open public forum. And so we got 10 of our friends, uh, including a bunch of kids. And we went in there and snuck the flyers in, you know, tucked into our waistbands behind our coats, sat down. And right before the thing was to start, we all stood up and handed everyone in the room. There were probably 200 people there, handed everyone in the room a flyer detailing yeah, this uh, majority leader's gubernatorial candidate's record, right? Yeah. And the next thing you know, everybody in the room has one because if you have 10 people, it takes you about five seconds to cover. Exactly. Uh, each of you can cover 20 people in, oh, maybe it's 15 or 20, but it's way too fast for it to stop. Well, and, and troublemakers don't ask for permission, right, to, right. to show exactly. up. In fact, just bring our flyers. When they tell us you have to leave, oh, okay, we're on our way out right now and we're passing flyers. And now 10 more flyers. Door. And if they, you know, and there's five more people in the room, they have to exactly. go to the next guy, we circle back. <laughs> I have I have pushed it to the point to where we left the property as the police were pulling in because they finally called the police and said, "Come take care of these people." And of course, mm -hmm. it's a public it's a public forum. What are they going to do? We're not being rowdy. We're, we're we are literally exercising the core right defended one of the core rights defended in the First Amendment. We talk about uh, the right to speech. The First Amendment covers five, but when we talk about right to speech, the core right it's defending there is the right to flyer. Right. But why, why dance with the police, right? So anyway, we hand them all out. Knutson's handler is over there. That was the name of the majority leader and gubernatorial candidate. Knutson's handler is over there talking to him. And he's looking at that flyer. And his, and his handler is like talking to him um, on profile, talking in his ear. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. And yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. <laughs> and then he gets up, goes to the mic. He's got his, his notes in one hand and our flyer in the other. And you can see him fighting with himself. And finally throws his notes down and says, oh, I didn't do this. And he spends his entire time talking about why he didn't <laughs> do everything that was very well footnoted on our flyer. And everyone in the room, besides the organizers, the organizers we knew from being down at the Capitol. And when we walked in, they knew there was going to be trouble. They right. just didn't know what we were going to do. They were horrified. There's um, the audible shuffling as the people are digging through oh, the stacks <laughs> of literature they've been given to find the flyer that has been yes. waved around by the speaker. Yes, so true. I didn't do this. And he spends his entire time, all of his time, when he could have been talking about his strengths, 
dwelling on his weakness. Yeah. His greatest weakness was the fact that he had supported gun control and he couldn't deny it. He tried to explain how oh, this wasn't really gun control. It really wasn't that bad and got himself in serious trouble. So it, it, it's crazy to me how many uh, politicians will do that. We, uh, we did that. I can't remember if you had, had moved down to Colorado yet uh, when, when Tim Leonard was running uh, for the state Senate the yes. first time. The vacancy and that, that was oh, the, no, this one was of the first be, things this I was did before think. that. Um, okay. He, yep. nope. I, um, I, the vacancy was the first one I was there for. He was running for um, the state Senate against a, an establishment uh, DA. And uh, he was uh, at, at the nominating assembly. Um, this opponent was, was being nominated by Al White, who was a Republican state Senator from the North uh, West part of Colorado, who had long time. He was a, a, a former state trooper, uh, he had been a longtime supporter of various gun controls. And um, as part of our, our assembly program, we, we had flyered all of the chairs with, with, with all of Tim's pro pieces. Um, and, and then uh, an RMGO team, Rocky Mountain Gun Owners team, came in and, and dropped flyers uh, attacking Al White for being anti-gun. And clearly, if Al White was supporting someone, uh, you, you should be concerned about his, his pro-gun cred credentials. Um, and so uh, Tim gets up there and we had, uh, I don't know, 75 homeschool kids that got up. It was, it, it was really a great stage performance. Nice. And the other guy gets up and it's just, just him and Al White and one other person. And uh, instead of nominating uh, him, Al White gets up and says, well, folks, I just want to draw your attention to this, to this flyer. Now this is just all lies. And he, he did just what, uh, <laughs> what Knutson did and, and was point, pointing and going <laughs> through instead of nominating the other fellow to run for office, uh, <laughs> defending his questionable record. Um, really, really uh, humorous uh, <laughs> uh, uh, visual there. Um, um, Tim ended up getting uh, 75% of the delegate vote, which in, in Colorado nice. uh, prevents uh, you have to get 30% of the delegate vote to be on the ballot. Right. And so we were able to keep uh, keep this other fella off, um, partly because I'm convinced because Al White spent the whole time of his nominating speech talking about how he really actually wasn't anti-gun uh, <laughs> while he was waving around the little orange the orange postcard right. um, that had been yes. dropped on the, on the chairs. <laughs> well, we talk a lot about being cheerful troublemakers, right? That's Happy right. troublemakers. Uh, just like being happy warriors. And that, that is so very important to, to just smile and enjoy it and chuckle about all of the consternation and, and gnashing of, and weeping away in the gnashing of teeth. And it is funny. Mm -hmm. It's funny because they thought they were going to get away with it. Right. And the reason they're throwing a fit is because their expectation is none of these idiot peasants are going to show up and cause a problem because we own the medium and we own the forum and, and we're the important people. And, you know, we're, we, we know what's, we know it's good for everyone. And mm -hmm. so just need to shut up and go away. I've done, you know, and, and lit dropping is one of the most dramatic, you know, when you're there distributing <laughs> flyers, it's one of the most dramatic face-to-face -face things you can do. You yes. know, when you're sending in phone calls and doing TV, yeah, it's not quite as exciting, right? It, it's um, a lot but, harder to, you know, not, not to make an overly sort of crass comparison, but it is somewhat like they say, um, when you read about, um, from military books about stabbing someone um, that you're very mm -hmm. sort of up there in personal and you see their face. And, and, you know, when, when, when you and I are buying mail and sending, you know, hundreds of thousands yeah. of letters or yeah. flyers uh, out in the mail, you don't really see the instant reaction, which is so great about lit dropping is, is you are there 
and you see the other person and the sweat beads on the forehead and the look in the eye. And, and uh, like the Bible says, you know, be kind to them is like uh, casting hot coals on their head. Uh, and there's a, there's a little a, additional, I, I, I found joy from, from being kind and polite about it while you're doing it. Yes. And that's the fun part. Yeah. The fun part is to smile and just enjoy, get used to having them consider you to be the skunk at the party. It's a party of people, a party full of people for the most part. The ones who are going to get upset are the ones that if they liked you, there would be something wrong. Right. These are the people who are ruining America. Uh, so please do not like to be liked by them. Um, but the, my favorite example was um, lit dropping um, a Lincoln Day dinner um, against another gubernatorial candidate. Um, and uh, I knew the county chair um, from the Capitol. He was mm -hmm. also a longtime lobbyist. Never really could understand why we didn't just show up and ask nicely and then go slinking away right. with our tail between our legs like he did when they yeah. were told no. And great big guy, taller than I am. Um, and I'm 6'2". And so he, I, I made the mistake at that event of, um, or maybe it was an earlier event. Anyway, one of the most important things about lit, when you're doing literature like that, when you're leafleting, never set them down. Don't put them on tables. Don't, if you can help it, don't put them on chairs. Right. Sometimes you have to, and sometimes it's the standard, you know, you have to make, put a stack of them. Like at a convention, everybody puts one on the chair. Well, okay. But when you're, you know, it's black ops and you're sneaking in and doing it, put it in hands because then yeah. they have to go around and snatch it. And most people won't. This guy did. He ran around the room, tried to <laughs> grab it. He came up and tried to grab it out of my hand and I wouldn't let go. And he was sitting there <clears throat> trying to, ripped the stack of flyers out of my hand and he just looked like the a-hole that he was acting like at that yeah. point. He, and he was red faced and angry. And then he would, goes around the room and tries to snatch him out of other people's hands. Um, it's kind of like, you know, getting hit by a, you know, if, if you're in public and some celebrity comes by or especially a politician, they get mad and they punch you, which does happen. Yeah. Please do not hit back. Right. <laughs> Please just take the punch and enjoy the, the court settlement later. That's right. Um, same goes for when you are um, it, to a lesser degree. Obviously, that's a very dramatic example. Doesn't happen very often. Both sides do it mm -hmm. um, or accused of it. Um, but um, just let them throw a fit in public. It's yeah. great. It's great. And smile. Be polite. So I think that's one of the, the great things about uh getting our kids involved and, and having younger yes. people and particularly, um, particularly girls. It's a lot harder to be angry, uh, at a pretty mm. girl who who's handing you a flyer than it is to, uh, to maybe yell at someone like us. <laughs> it's a little easier to yell at us <laughs> so than it is a, a, a kid in, you know, 15, 16, um, you know, who's out there involved in the political process. Cause that's, uh, most Republicans at least give some, um, some, uh, sort of, of credence to saying, well, we got to get the young, younger generations involved, although right. they are, want to protect their their social club uh, from the, the rapscallion <laughs> young people who want to who, who want to to save the republic and and are less concerned about the social aspect of the the Republican women's uh, ice cream social. <laughs> so true. Yep, there's a political establishment that likes to talk about how important it is to get people involved in the process and how much we want young people. But when the young people show up and actually want things, yeah, it's not so good. You're expected, you need to show up and carry the water for the elephant. Exactly. Which, um, well, if, if by that we mean defend liberty and freedom and stand up for the Constitution, great, of course. Yeah. Um, but when we have a political class which does the exact opposite 
under false pretenses, yeah, someone's going to have to say, I'm sorry, you're out here with nothing on. Emperor's mm-hmm. got no clothes. And here's the, you know, here's the, here are the, all the details. Um, please vote for the guy who actually is carrying the elephant water. If, if you're going to use that, <laughs> that terminology. That's right. I think um, if people were not paying attention to what's, what's, what's been happening uh, in this country over the last couple of years, you, if you only watched Fox news uh, or looked at Twitter or the, or the press, you would, you would, um, you would think that things were not going so great in America. And certainly there are a lot of things that, that are, are not great. And we've, we've lived through two years of, uh, of COVID uh, related Mm -hmm. uh, local and national tyranny. Uh, But there really are, uh, a, a significant number of things that are going well um, in the states. Um, laws are being changed. Conservative public policy is is advancing. Um, big, big, big gains are being made. Um, just last week, uh, Indiana became the twenty fourth uh, constitutional carry state, and there's there's hope that uh, that perhaps Georgia will be the twenty fifth. Um, you know, you were an intricate part of the the fight for South Dakota. Um, um, you know, when we got involved and got started in politics, um, you know, the, this idea that constitutional carry would, would get so far so quickly, I think over the last <laughs> 10 or 12 years when it went from being right. Vermont and Alaska, um, you know, and now we have almost half the country, uh, has that kind of real, real freedom where the, the meme about the, the constitution is my permit is actually, is actually the case. It's actually the law in a, in a, in a lot of places. Um, you know, I think it, it really underscores one that things are really not as bad everywhere as it's made out. And two, that, um, you know, the work that we that we do that we want the, the folks to be involved in, you know, this is stuff that doesn't change overnight. Right. Um, you know, right. The, 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 the work that you did laying the groundwork for constitutional carry uh, in South Dakota was, was years and years of work. You want you want to tell us a little bit about about that, um, the passage of 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 constitutional carry and kind of some of the, the high and low lights, uh, along the way. Well, certainly, um, working in South Dakota growing up, um, was such a great training ground. You know, you can win a state house seat there for 2000 bucks. In fact, that is the median, the median amount spent is $1,900 right now. It's one of the lowest, uh, spends in the, in the country. And so such a great place to, uh, to get to learn politics and did a lot of learning, a lot of mistake making, um, and unnecessarily offending the political class. And that's something that's important to, to remember mm-hmm. being a troublemaker. Isn't about just being a troublemaker. I grew right. up, uh, was born on a ranch. Um, we moved away when I was eight. Um, and, and my dad started a business in, in town, obviously I had many friends still. And so I grew up working cattle. Uh, and you know, so this may not be an analogy that that many people uh, understand, but it's it's comprehensible. Um, when you are um, driving cattle somewhere, you get them up to where you want them to go, and it's usually they need to go through some kind of gate. Is is the goal? Um, if you forget to open the gate, sometimes that happens. You drive them yeah. up to the corner of the fence, and oh darn, the gate isn't open, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. You know, why are they? You know, they get antsy, and if you eventually, if you push too hard, now no, no good rancher would do this. But if you push them into a corner with no gate, and then you try to drive them somewhere, they'll turn around and run you over. Eventually, the self-preservation is going to kick in. Yeah. Um, and if there's no option here, uh, but if you oh, get the gate open and drive them up there, they're going to balk. Most of the time, they don't want to leave where you know, unless you know, it looks nice, nice and tasty over there, but a lot of times they just don't want to go through. 
And so you got to get up there and poke them a little bit, use the cattle prod, make some noise, make one of them go through. And eventually when one of them goes through, the rest of them are like, oh, oh, that's what they want. They Mm -hmm. see we can relieve the pressure by running through the gate. And they will. Um, Same is true in politics. The problem is that poking politicians who are trying to destroy liberty and freedom and who have become have made it personal and have become objectionable. Um, it ha- it it is rewarding in and of itself at, at a certain level. It becomes fun just to poke the politician for the sake of poking him. Um, and if the goal isn't to pass good legislation, and if you don't shut up and stop attacking them once they vote the way you want them to, even though they fought you the whole way, and even though they know you you know they didn't want to, and even though they, it, they falsely stand and say, "Well, I was always going to do this," just Where, yeah. let them off. Let them run through the gate. Right. I mean, you can have conversations yeah. about, yeah, and at the next election, you may or may not be able to hold them accountable for other things. But you have to eventually back off and stop causing pain when they do what you want them to. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they will eventually just decide that you are a constant, that you being a problem is a constant that they cannot get get, get rid of. And so they will just ignore you no matter what you do. Right. Um, and so learning politics requires – there's always an opportunity to come back around. You know, you can always – learn and come back. And so being able to go back to South Dakota after having worked nationally for nearly a decade, um, when we finally had, and that, the whole story about Knutson, the one who stood up and did mm-hmm. show and tell the farmers union debate, um, that was a decade before constitutional carry passed wow. and was a seminal moment when the, the governors or the people who wanted to be governor said, learned that, Oh, this, this can really hurt if you don't do the right thing. You don't, if you don't do what they want you to do. Um, we did the same thing. Knutson lost because of that. And so we not only got rid of him in the Senate, we defeated a a majority leader and a gubernatorial candidate, which was a huge feather in our cap in the political. They hated us for it, but now they were like, oh, geez, these guys can do something. They may have hated you, but they, they feared you as well. Yes. Yes. Um, the guy who gave, became governor, um, he was the governor before Noam. His name is Dugard. Um, he served his two terms. He was very popular, um, and he killed constitutional carry five times during that period. <laughs> and so, not only that, but then he would endorse um, anti-gun and and also anti-life, um, pro-homosexual bully um, candidates. Uh, there were five um, senators who had voted with him on the budget, which was a good budget, by the way. Um, his first year in office, the first session, he actually cut the spending. South Dakota spent less money that year because the governor said, I will not sign a bill that does not meet X. And he stuck to it. Um, And so kudos to him for that. Um, He had five senators that voted with him on that, but then they voted for gun control. They voted for homosexual marriage. They voted against the right to life. They voted for higher taxes while voting to cut the budget. (laughs) Um, and so of course we went after them on those things, especially gun rights and the governor, this new governor came in and endorsed against our candidates. Now we won three out of the five. So we won that fight. Uh, and in South Dakota, the governor, like in most States, he's considered the leader of his party. Sure. And in South Dakota, the party just doesn't, you don't get involved in primaries. That's, they tell everyone. And they always, they did, they established that because they were used to controlling the structure and controlling the candidates. Mm-hmm. And so not endorsing primaries, they've kind of made it a rule. Uh, the party establishment did because that means um, the incumbent will probably win. Right. Um, and so he came out and he endorsed against our guys because they were in serious trouble. And the party structure was infuriated that the governor would break the rule. 
that you don't, <laughs> you just don't do that. Right? right. And so he, but he made the argument that, well, it needs to be done because these are good people. Well, when we killed um, three races out of five, that made his endorsement poisonous. <laughs> no one would take it after that. And he's no, nobody's ever mm -hmm. done that since in the last, no, 15 years now. Um, but eventually um, we had another event in which we showed up and we let drop the governor as a family event. And so we worked with a family group that published his anti-life and, and pro-homosexual bully um, record. And that was the event that I left right as the police were arriving. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was interestingly hosted by a group that I helped. They had asked me to help start it. Right. And I told him, well, you guys, you know, we're not going to agree on tactics. I will help you. I donated as much money as I could. I'd helped them every way I could. Um, and so they were horrified that I would show up and, and let drop that event. Right. Of course, that was after they refused to allow questions from the audience because there were 300 conservatives there. Mm -hmm. It's the biggest gathering, monthly gathering conservatives in the state. Um, who and and more than half the audience was spitting nails. They wanted to have the governor for lunch by opening questions, and the governor said, "I won't show up if you allow questions right. from the floor." And anyway, we dropped that event. Well, after that, it became abundantly clear that it is just not worth um, opposing the conservative cause when right. it comes to legislation. If you in legislative season, it's a problem. And so, when Noam ran for office. Um, she was running against the sitting attorney general, whose name is Marty Jackley. Um, it was a very close race. Noam eventually won that race with a very good political move. Um, even though I believe Jackley might've been the better governor, um, they're, you know, they're both politicians and that's fine. Sure. They're, you know, they're, they were both, I knew them both from long before they were in off. Well, Jack, Jackley didn't actually, but I knew him as soon as he got elected and he actually helped us do some stuff. Um, Jack Lee signed the, the survey, a pledge that he would sign constitutional carry if he was governor right away. Mm -hmm. Um, and Noam did not. Um, and so I was working in DC at the time. And so I just scheduled a meeting and she showed up at Starbucks off the hill and said, hi, you know, and I, point, I had them a survey and I said, um, Congresswoman, you haven't signed the survey yet. And, and Marty has, and you know, I prefer just to stay out of this race. And of course that was a, she interpreted that to be a very, fairly strong political threat. Um, and she just, oh my goodness. Well, golly, gosh, darn gee whiz. I haven't signed that thing yet. And she whips out her pen and, and signs it right there in front of me. And I said, thank you so much. Cause I really didn't want to get involved. Right. She, you know, there wasn't, from my perspective, that wasn't a threat. I didn't really want to do anything in that race. I wanted whichever one won to, to just sign the policy. The yeah. And so I very gladly uh, saw Christy Noam win. Um, that was fine. And uh, then we went into the first legislative season. Well, um, after she won the nomination, she uh, nominated uh, one of my oldest enemies in politics to be lieutenant governor. His name is Roden, R-H-O-D-E-N. Uh, former Democrat from Union County, South Dakota, one of the old bastions of, of uh, left-leaning agricultural production in, in the western mm -hmm. side of the state, which is all very, very red now. Um, but he was a Democrat at one time, converted to a Republican to run. And, you know, he'd been around in politics for as long as I had. We're a little older than I am, but we're roughly the same age, came up in politics at the same time. He'd been in politics a lot longer than Noam had. In fact, he was a majority leader in the state house when she first got elected. Um, and so she nominates him um, because he's West River She's East River, you know, it's kind of a thing in South Unity Dakota. ticket. Two sides of the so state. Yep, the unity ticket, the mail, and 
um, to some degree, someone that most people don't like. The people who are in the, the political sphere don't really like Larry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's just reality. Sure. And he's, he's just a guy. People, people don't like him. He's a little petulant. Um, and so um, he is given the dirty work of killing my bill quietly in the Senate because he's now president of the Senate mm-hmm. and not allowing it to get to Noam's desk. And so um, he immediately starts circulating a, a an amendment which would gut the bill while still allowing them to say they passed it. Right. And so it makes all of the anti-gunners uh, in South Dakota, the anti-gun lobby is made up of law enforcement bureaucrats who haven't walked a beat in decades and who really are out of touch. And so um, it comes down to this battle between myself and, and our organization on one side and Larry Roden on the other. Of course, we knew what he was going to do right away. Uh, and so we we already had the meme made up of of his face in a rat suit, right? Like a Halloween suit with mm-hmm. ears. And we just put his face over it. And I think I may have uh, lost you. So you'll have to let me know no, there if, if uh, the Internet's dying. Um, so anyway, um, that meme goes up. Why is Lieutenant Governor Rodent trying to poison constitutional carry? And we just scratched, scrawled a T at the end. When, you know, just it looks like it was. Uh, graffitied in. Um, I'm sure he, he loved that. He didn't like that at all. Yeah, he threw a fit about that. Um, the majority, the uh, president pro tem of the Senate was a longtime ally of mine. And I gave him a, you know, I said, oh, tomorrow morning, Brock will call me and say, Zach, it's not helping. <laughs> <laughs> and so three hours later, Brock calls, hey, Zach, the meme is not helping. And of course it was helping. It was doing exactly what it was supposed to do. It's right. just, it just was causing problems for Brock. And, you know, that I did, that was not my goal necessarily. He's got a job to do. Sure. That's fine. He was the bill sponsor. Um, but what we are in the whole was that we controlled the one committee that the bill had to go through. Our best guy, Senator Lance Russell was chair of that committee. Um, and that's, that was really fun. Um, because if we didn't like a gun bill, every gun bill was agreed would go through that committee. Mm-hmm. If we didn't like it. It was dead. That's it. We had the votes to kill it. And so, um, we, we let it be known that if you send a, this watered down constitutional carry bill to the, to the, um, Senate judiciary committee, that bill will die and the real bill will come out and you'll have to, and we can do this all session long. Right. We had three bills stacked up so that we could meet all the deadlines and still, and send them, we could make them vote on it three times. Um, so Larry was in a bad spot. They hoped to, to get away with it, to kind of slide it through. Well, we sent staff to the big Lincoln day dinner in his County, which happened to be that week. Talk about providential. And so oh, our guy goes and once again, leaflets, the, the party, Larry shows up, he's angry. He's yelling. He invites the, the lobbyist. He's our lobbyist to go outside and have a fist fight. I kid you not. Let's go outside <laughs> and settle this like men. And Larry is twice as if we the were in the, the 1800s lobbyist. <laughs> and his wife is pulling on his arm. Larry, no. <laughs> and so anyway, it was, it was lots of fireworks and it was great. And he gets back to the Capitol, which is about three hours away, drives back to into the center of the state. And the, the rumor is that he sits down with the governor in their weekly Sunday briefing to prep for the week. And he's just going on and on, and he's got the me. He does the show and tell thing. Yeah. And how, how terrible these people are just abusing me. And Christy reportedly took a deep breath and said, "Well, if that's the way these people are going to act, just give them what they want." And that was it. Touchdown. Constitutional carry. Yeah. Um. Yep. 
Um, it sailed through both chambers. Um, the Governor Nome had staff carry her desk out into the rotunda of the Capitol, which usually the bill signings are done kind of in this anteroom mm-hmm. to, to her office where you could put maybe 20 people. Everybody in the legislature has to show up and stand, line up on the stairs behind the behind the desk so we can all get our picture. Let's all get, get our credit. We are. Credit for this. Um, now that, yeah, now that they had to had to pass my bill, and you know I'm the punk that they don't like. They used to say that that guy can't pass gas in this chamber. That's how true <laughs> they were, right? Um, and um, now they all had to vote for my bill, yeah. and they now well, what do you do? You have to sign up and take credit for it, and so they did. And the <laughs> one of the uh, legislators who was fairly new, he didn't know me from back in the day when I was there, but he heard all the stories, and now he's the majority of the year in the House. And he was the, he carried the bill that actually passed because mm-hmm. um, that's what leadership right. does, uh, which is fine. That's our bill. I, I much prefer making them carry my stuff. Yeah. Um, and so he texted me late the night before the signing. He's like, Mr. Lauchlugger, I would really appreciate it as a personal favor to me if you did not attend the bill. <laughs> of course, I'm already in transit. Um, and so I showed up and and he's just apoplectic about it and you know i got all i've got all my kids there Mm -hmm. and the old the old school is kind of scratching their heads and going how did this happen and the old reporter who's who has been there the whole time he said hey let's do a quick interview and he was he we had a fairly adversarial relationship back in the day but he was like how did how did you do how did this happen how did you go from absolute pariah to passing the bill um and I told him, well, it's all about being a happy troublemaker. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that that's and that's how it works. Um, eventually, the political class gets tired of fighting you. It's the it's and the ten plus years of, try every of troublemaking you made leading yep. up to that, right? It was right. less. They just get really tired of it. Yeah, less less what exactly. happened necessarily in that in that uh, in that particular legislative session, although that was important. But it was also the buildup the the years right. we prior. We've gotten a watered down bill. Yeah, correct. Once so, once you had a governor who had publicly pledged to, pledged to sign the bill, everybody knew. Okay, we're going to have a bill this year. The some kind of bill was can we can we water it down enough to make all of the Antigon bureaucrats happy? People happy. Yeah. Um, to kind of wrap up here, I, I, I uh, some questions I, I want to kind of dig in with folks and 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 get some practical advice. Obviously, you've worked in politics for a long time. Um, and, and you have stayed mostly sane, right? <laughs> um, what, what are some of the things that you do? <laughs> that, you ask. The, the, the sort of the tricks that, that keep uh-huh. you from losing, losing your mind. Cause obviously it would be easy to, to take everything That's personally, so important. um, and, and to become bitter and cynical and all yep. of those things. And how, how do we stay happy troublemakers? You know, I think that one of the most important thing is just is to really focus on not taking it personally. Mm-hmm. Do not let get it let it get under your hide. Stop watching Fox News. Stop. I mean, they're as bad as CNN about this. Everything is terrible. Everything is awful. It's the world's going to end tomorrow. Look, there are bad people doing bad things to our country, and we must fight them. That's why you and I do what we do. Um, and right. we've been blessed to be have the opportunity to, to be able to feed our families while doing it. Um, and so, you know, this is, this is, this is life for us. So we, we absolutely are not saying, please don't do things. We're doing, saying the exact opposite. And the problem with the focus on all the bad things that are happening, it is demotivating. 
Absolutely. Demotivates people or it causes people to panic, make panic based decisions um, and, and then run around in circles trying to, trying to do one useless thing after another all at the same time. So getting out of the <clears throat> news consumer mindset is huge. Turn on a, a pretty big filter for mm. that. Um, watching what everyone else says is a really great filter. Right. Just kind of observing who's, who, what is, what are people talking about? And you get one step removed from the breathless uh, reporting about how terrible the, whatever the latest outrage is. Mm-hmm. Because look, that's what sells. And if you are a commentator, you do that on purpose. And I respect that. I have no yeah. problem with it. But you're supposed to take it for what it is. It's entertainment. Right. It's entertainment. People are paying to watch that because it's somewhat entertaining. But then we forget that it's entertainment. We actually think, oh, my goodness, Crowder is this real is actually life. happening. Or Hannity is real life. Yeah. And so, you know, that's okay. You know, so first of all, recognize it for the showmanship that it is. Um, and then you can sort out, okay, if it's CNN, I actually prefer watching CNN when I watch because I know everything that they're saying is total horse buggy. Right. Um, and so at least, you know, the, it's, 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 it's fully adulterated. <laughs> um, another big part of it is to have something, something, do something else, not necessarily professionally. Um, but politics is both a, can be a profession and it is also a hobby. Mm-hmm. It is, has the attraction of being a hobby and the political geeks are a real thing. We are, yeah. we're both political geeks. For sure. Um, but we have, there's a lot of other things we enjoy in life. Yeah. And, and you know what? A lot of times in politics, it becomes all consuming. I know that, no uh, that yeah, and that's something that I've actually, I've really appreciated working with you. Um, you consistently have, get out of the political sphere. You step out. Um, that's important as well. Now I grew up in a fairly physical world where, you know, doing stuff is important. And so either building things for me, building things or, um, outdoor activities, uh, skiing in the winter, biking in the summer, whatever, whatever your hobby is, yeah. something that, that gets your attention off of it and builds proper life balance. And then the normal stuff, what do adults do? We balance life. We have family balance and balance that with work life. Recognize that politics is work life. It is not all consuming. It is not, right. you can't, you can't just sit in your mom's basement for the rest of your life and fret over what the Bilderbergers are going to do next. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Well, I have, so, uh, I think those are two really, really important things. Those are definitely, I think sort of foundational um, things And I'm looking forward. We, we have a, a bunch of really interesting folks uh, who've been involved in politics are going to be guests coming up. Um, I'm interested to hear what, uh, what they do and what some of their, their tips and tricks for uh, not going completely, completely insane um, as uh, as political actors uh, go. Uh, this podcast yeah. has been brought to you by Founders Promise. Uh, Founders Promise is a 501c3 organization that uh, Zach and I founded uh, specifically to train um, activists and, and grassroots conservatives about how politics really works um, and how you can be uh, successful in, in making some trouble. Uh, in your area. Um, you can find out some more by clicking the links in the description below. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, uh, we'd love to hear what your favorite part is and what uh, what kind of trouble you're getting up up to. Uh, so be sure to leave a comment uh, and and like and subscribe if if you if you're enjoying what you heard. So we're uh, we're looking forward to uh, to bringing you some some uh, really interesting folks and and helping you cut through some of the crazy uh, and and so you can go out and make some trouble of your own.